welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Brain Chat. This is our last Brain Chat of 2023. And this has been a really amazing and exciting year with so many um, great conversations and hopefully great information uh, for those of you who are subscribing and watching. I know that I learned something every time I talk with one of my esteemed and amazing, super smart colleagues, and I know that you do too. Um, So very, very excited to be here with you all on this Monday evening before the holidays. I hope everybody's done their holiday shopping and all that good stuff. All right. So very very excited about a topic that has grown to be such a big part of my practice in the past, you know, five to 10 years or so, and that is integrative medicine. You know, I think so many times, you know, as a physician and as a person in medicine, we get so focused on medications. And I certainly believe in medications and procedures that they're extremely important and have advanced science a lot. But there is a lot of good old fashioned stuff that you can do to help yourself. Um, And there are also many other procedures and other areas of medicine that may not be traditional um, Western medicine that can be very helpful to to many of my patients in their journey with MS. So I'm very, very excited to have an expert with us tonight, uh, Dr. Susan Perovi, who is an assistant professor uh, of the Department of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Medicine at Stanford. And she also lives with MS. So I'm really, really excited to have her with us to talk a little bit about her journey and to talk about Uh, integrative medicine and some of the aspects of that. So I'm going to go ahead and pull her into the stream. Hello, Dr. Perovi. Thank you for spending time with us today on Brain Chat. Welcome. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I am really excited to dig in this conversation. Um, I know that you've got a wealth of knowledge um, to help um, those who are, you know, watching or streaming, you know, um, and I'm ready to kind of get right into it. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, with multiple sclerosis. Sure. So I got diagnosed a little over a decade ago, Shortly after my first child was born, um, I was having, I went back to work like within a, a month and cause I, I love going to work. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. I probably went in too soon, but I was dropping things and I was an anesthesiologist. I needed both arms to be fully working, but this left mm-hmm. arm wasn't quite doing it. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, fast forward 10 months, uh, I'm constantly having trouble in the operating room, getting into like really kind of uncomfortable situations where the arms just not helping me out. Uh, four neurologists actually missed it. It wasn't until my mentor, a plastic surgeon who just kind of in mm. passing, just kind of said, Oh, maybe you have MS. And the moment he said it, it just dawned on me like, yes, I think it's right. Because when yeah. I take a warm shower, the arm hangs at my side. And mm. so you know, that's, then I went and asked my primary doctor to do an MRI and there it was. And like that, my career in anesthesia ended because I couldn't safely practice anymore. 
Right. And then I was worried about like, how do I take care of my son and how do I stay healthy and what do I need to do? And what I realized was that I, as a physician, didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you identify with that. Like, I don't know. I didn't get any of that in my medical training. I didn't know the first thing about taking care of myself. I didn't. No. Yeah. I think nutrition was like a two week course and I don't remember any of it. Um, We definitely didn't talk about anything really specific, but before we get into that, let's dial back. So I'm very interested in this fact that, you know, you were seen, you're engaged in the system, you're a healthcare provider and still wasn't able to get answers to what was going on with you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that process, right? Because many people may wait long periods of time to get diagnosed um, they may be told they have pinched nerves or osteoarthritis or degenerative disc disease. So what were some of the diagnoses that you were told you had before you finally got diagnosed with MS? You're a new mom. Mm. Uh, you're and stressed. that makes your arm hang. Yeah, yeah. So you're a new mom. You're stressed. I also had tendonitis in my wrist from like lifting up the baby and nursing. So mm-hmm. we kept thinking it was that. But you know what? I remembered from my medical school neurology course, weakness is not a neurologic sign to ignore. And I felt like my arm and hand were weak. It wasn't Mm. numbness and tingling. I thought maybe there were some weird temperature things happening, but um, I really felt like I was weak. And then I would go Mm. in and would do like a, a strength test and he'd be like, you're fine. And I'm like, but I'm fine right now, but right. I won't be fine tomorrow. <laughs> you, right. you know, if I take a shower, I won't be fine. And, you know, they couldn't find anything on the physical exam and it didn't catch anybody's attention to do mm. an MRI. And so, you know, it was kind of chalked up to stress, being a new mm. mom, tendonitis in the wrists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, but, you know, I kept persisting, knowing what I knew as a, as a physician, and that helped accelerate my diagnosis. Otherwise, it would have probably taken years. And had I just kind of gone along with what they said, you know, I don't think I would have known what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I just remember the relief the day I got mm-hmm. the phone call. Where it was like, mm-hmm. okay, 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 I'm, I'm not crazy. Right. It, it's something happening, but... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then my brain did all the things that it does when you get that diagnosis, but that's another story. <laughs> right. The Googles, the, you know, gosh, you know, worst case scenario, you know, it's very hard as a healthcare provider because many cases we see the worst case scenarios, it's particularly if we're working in the hospitals. And so mm-hmm. sometimes it's very easy for our brains to go to like the worst, you know, possible oh, yeah. outcome. Um, but I think that that's really important, you know, for people to recognize that even as a physician, you know, even as a person who is part of the healthcare system, you know, sometimes our symptoms can be chalked up to stress or other things. And the fact that you persisted is what led you to diagnosis. And I think that's so important. Um, but I think in some ways it's a little bit unfortunate. You know, one of the things that I try to do is I try to believe people when they come to see me, you know, and I concept. recognize, I know what a concept of actually <laughs> believing people <laughs> when they come, when they come in the office, because sometimes the symptoms with MS can fluctuate, right? Sometimes they are related to fatigue. So, you know, of course you're well rested, you know, except for Atlanta traffic when you come see me because the traffic is bad. Other than that stress, um, you know, you're pretty well rested. And so everything may be normal on that exam, but after you've been going through your daily activities and toward the end of the day is where we may see some of those um, increased symptoms of weakness or other things become more apparent. And so I think that's important for, 
you know, healthcare workers to recognize, but also, you know, for people to realize, pay attention to your body. It is not normal to be weak, <laughs> you know, and, and make sure that if you're not getting the answers you need, that you continue to persist, you know, until you get the answers that you need. So, so thank you so much for sharing that. So back to the diet, back to the two weeks of nutrition. All right. So tell us, what got you interested in integrative medicine? So I remember, you know, when people would first come into me, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I was in my training, you know, and talk about diet and what they should eat. I'd be like, I don't know, eat whatever you want, you know, you got to miss, you know, but now we're learning so much more about <clears throat> aspects of health that are not directly related necessarily to taking prescription medications. So tell us how you got interested in, in integrative medicine. Sure. So, you know, shortly after my diagnosis of MS that killed my career as an anesthesiologist, I had to figure out what to do with myself as my career, like what's next, but also more importantly, top of mind was like, how do I take better care of myself? Mm -hmm. And on a random search, I came across this conference and I thought, well, let me go and see what these people have to say. And I went and it was the AIHM and it changed my life because- and AIHM stands for- uh, oh, you can ask me that hard question. Academy of uh, Integrative Holistic Medicine. I hope okay. I got that right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, something happened that at that conference, a mindset shift happened. Mm -hmm. Something happened where I started believing that maybe if I take really good care of my body, things will be okay. Right. Because like, what else did I have to go on? Right. We talk right. about MS being unpredictable. You know, you take your DMTs and yes, it's going to help you um, slow progression and help you, you know, do the things that, that you do as a neurologist. But I just I needed more. And this is a place where they gave me a lot of um, evidence based information where mm. I thought, let me just let me just try this and see how it goes. And I kind of got obsessed with it because it was like I started eating differently and I started feeling better. Not like my arms started working better, but like I just didn't feel like bloated and gross after mm. eating. Right? And I wasn't overeating. Right. And I started eating more vegetables. And and then I, you know, tried to exercise, even though that was hard because exercise would bring on my symptoms. I was so terrified. Mm. Of, I could I didn't run for seven years, which is my favorite way of exercising. Mm -hmm. So little by little, I started putting things into practice. But the diet, I think, was one of the most impactful things because it didn't take long for me to start feeling good. Mm. And you know, say you got two weeks. I got, that's two more weeks than I had in med school. <laughs> I had to learn it all from scratch. I and learn it from scratch. You know, my yeah. husband who's in finance would teach me about nutrition. That's embarrassing. Mm. I'm embarrassed mm -hmm. as a physician, but you know, I don't think that the training has gotten much better. Maybe it has in recent years, but, um, but certainly there still is a very long way to go. So, you know, let's, let's park a little bit here and talk about diet, right? So, you know, there is a lot of research in the field of neuroimmunology that is focused on what we call the gut microbiome, right? The, the, uh, bugs and bacteria and all the things that comprise the gut, um, and there is, uh, we know that the gut microbiome educates the immune system. So there's a lot of research or questions about, are the things that we're eating uh, leading our immune systems to attack us in some way? Is that causing autoimmune disease? You know, and I have a lot of patients who ask me questions about 
what they should be eating. What is an anti-inflammatory diet? You know, I think it's very important that you pointed out you started to feel better, um, but it didn't necessarily make you stronger in terms of the muscle strength in your arm. Because I think in some cases, people are led to believe that a diet will make their MS symptoms disappear. But let's talk about a little bit, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what dietary changes you made and kind of how, you know, that affected your overall function. Sure. So like starting to, let's start with the gut microbiome, which I Mm -hmm. think of as sort of like the intersection where all the information is exchanged between Mm -hmm. different systems. I mean, it does sort of have that function. It's not the only thing in the body that kind of has that um, connectivity, but you know, these bacteria and other microorganisms are actually there to perform a lot of functions we don't know how to do for ourselves. And when we start losing species out of the gut microbiome because of changes in the environment, antibiotics, stress, you know, toxins in the environment, um, we're losing important functions and different systems can start to kind of fall apart or act up. So perhaps that's one factor contributing to the rise of inflammatory and autoimmune conditions. It's not all of it, mm-hmm. but it's certainly a piece of the puzzle. And so I think what- the thing that got me interested in the gut microbiome was that there was a study actually that I viewed a poster at one of our consortium meetings um, where they looked in animals and when they removed the microbiome, they could not induce MS. So the way that we learn about MS in animal models is that they basically kind of give them MS, so to speak. And when they totally removed all the microorganisms, they couldn't induce MS, but when they introduced them back, they could, you know, introduce MS. And so, you know, there's this big question, what is it about um, the system or what we're feeding into the system that may or may not uh, make some people more prone to develop MS? I'm sorry to cut you off, but I I had that thought as you were talking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating study, actually. And the observation is really interesting because, you know, where we are in our understanding of the gut microbiome and where we are with like lab testing, not like the test that your regular doctors would do, but if you go to a functional medicine doctor or, or integrative medicine doctor, they might do a stool analysis and we look for what bugs are growing. It's kind of mm-hmm. like taking a census, who's present, yeah. who's not, and in what relative amounts. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to look at the gut microbiome, but it may actually not be the most accurate way to think about Mm -hmm. the gut microbiome because it might actually be the overall metabolic activity of Mm. the gut microbiome that will determine a person's state of health. And so we're not quite Mm -hmm. there yet with testing. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's available in research, but not for, you know, clinical purposes. And so you know, it is important to have the good bugs and that could be different for different people. You know, if you look at people throughout the world, they don't all have the same core gut microbiome. People with different genetics and with different environmental environmental exposures, with different diets, with different forces in their environment will have different gut microbiomes. So, um, so it is important to have certain good bugs there. Like we have data on bifidobacter and lactobacillus tend to kind of go with good health. And then there are other microbes that may be more problematic. And so what what can we do about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are stool transplants you can get, but that's not recommended and nor do we do those very often. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. messy. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a last- I can imagine. <laughs> certain diagnoses. Mm-hmm. But um, there are things you could do through diet to promote the growth of the good bugs like Mm. eating prebiotic fibers. These are the foods that contain the right kind of fiber 
that your good bugs can utilize as food and then grow and thrive and take up space in the gut microbiome Mm -hmm. and make it less hospitable for the less friendly bugs. And Mm. so eating prebiotic foods like garlic, onion, bananas, kiwi, green leafy vegetables, um, artichokes, you know, Mm -hmm. these I mean, there's a long list. The and many of us are already doing these, but like being more intentional about mm-hmm. putting these things in our diet is a good place to start. And some of the research might actually be showing that the prebiotics are more important than even doing probiotic foods. Mm. Of getting the gut microbiome to go to a place of greater balance. So that's prebiotics. And then there's probiotics. And most of pe- most people think of probiotics as um uh, the supplement, but I'm actually talking about foods that contain the good bacteria. These would be fermented. Mm. It could be fermented dairy, it could be fermented vegetables, could be fermented tea that we call kombucha. So if you can start introducing some of these favorable bugs into your GI tract, again, you're promoting a different set of bugs to grow mm. and then you're feeding them with your pre- prebiotic fibers. So this is a way you could use food to promote a healthier gut microbiome. And, you know, do you have to do this forever? Yes, because (laughs) that microbiome is dynamic and it's going to respond to the signals it receives. So depending on what foods are coming down the tube, you're going to favor the growth of different microorganisms. So what is a probiotic, right? So, you know, when you think about different... um, recommendations. Everybody says you should be taking probiotics. Everybody says, take this yogurt that, you know, some celebrity says is good for your gut. Um, Should people be taking, you know, supplements or should they be trying to get these type of nutrients from natural foods? That's such a good question because always, always, always a food first approach. Mm -hmm. You'll just have better results because Mm -hmm you are going to get a wider variety of microorganisms versus if you take the capsule with six or eight different strains of bacteria um, at whatever dose, you know, you're just Mm -hmm. limited to that. So I tell people, go to your farmer's market, go to your grocery store, to this refrigerated section, buy two to three different kinds of probiotic foods, have them on hand, and then mix and match. Every day you're doing like little bits. You don't have to do like a cup a day. One mm-hmm. to two spoons is is great. Start with mm-hmm. half a spoon if they're kind of new to you, but like you will develop a taste for it. And I'll tell you what, my family, we can't keep up with our probiotic consumption. Like my kids love fermented foods. It's just, it's just an acquired taste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wish I could get my kids to eat some fermented. Maybe my kids need to come hang out with your kids so <laughs> they can get some lessons. <laughs> you know, so my, um, so we, our fun drink at home is kombucha. We make kombucha, which is fermented tea uh-huh. and we don't have juice in the house. So it's either water uh-huh. or from our kombucha. And mm. so you know, they're getting a dose of that every day, but you mm-hmm. know, it's like not been easy. You have to keep pushing it and yeah. you know, give them the choice. They're always going to go for cookies and processed right. foods, right. even my kids. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so when we think about, you know, kind of a 50,000 foot view, when people come into the office and say, you know, what should I be eating now that I've been diagnosed? You know, there's so many different diets. Um, there's so many different plans. You know, I tell each of my patients, there's not necessarily one diet that will work for each person, right? I recommend looking at, you know, eating more raw 
foods, less processed foods, you know, shopping on the outside of the grocery store, you know, but in terms of are there specific foods they should avoid or shouldn't eat? Kind of what are your thoughts about, you know, all of these different diets, some of which people, you know, can be very strict that people can't keep up with. So I always try to recommend the best thing is something you can keep up with and that you think you could maintain versus doing something super strict. And then you go all the way in the opposite direction and lose all the ground that you gained. Tell us your thoughts about that. Yeah. So this is one of the most common questions I get because I think people think that there's a perfect diet for MS. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And maybe that's why we keep doing different trials, right? Is it this mm-hmm. one? Is it that one? You know, I think if you step back and you look at what we know, it's not really any one diet that's going to be Agreed. the end all, right? Agreed. Because we are all genetically different. Mm-hmm. We have different cultural inf- influences. Mm -hmm. We have different food preferences. We have different Mm -hmm. foods available to us. Mm -hmm. We have different cooking skills, you know, Mm -hmm. or lack of cooking skills. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how common that is, you know, but you know what? It's never too late to like learn how to make five things, Mm -hmm. like five things that are healthy. And then you kind of recycle it. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's what I do, whether or not people um, have, have MS autoimmunity or something totally unrelated to the immune system. Like I'm kind of like a broken record. It's a whole foods plant-based diet. So if I Mm -hmm. break that down for you, whole foods means real food. Like you said, the perimeter of your grocery store, what's at the farmer's market and, um, you know, food that's like unprocessed, unpackaged as it grows in nature. Mm -hmm. I know like I just broke that down and it might seem silly, but if you look at the store, like there's, it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. If it has a package, if it's been altered by man, it's processed, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to eat as much real food as possible. You're not going to get that down to zero. Even my Mm -hmm. house, we've got things that aren't perfect, but like, Mm time. Like I have three kids and I'm doing my best. Right. Yeah. So, and then the second part is plant-based and then people go, Mm -hmm. Nope, I I can't become a vegetarian. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, you don't have to become a vegetarian. I eat meat. Mm -hmm. I've tried being vegan. I can't do it personally. Like I can't. So I need meat. I need meat. I did a great, um, uh, yoga retreat, uh, with the Chopra foundation, uh, last year in Marco Island. And I mean, we had amazing food Every day, the vegetables were seasoned, but after about three days, I was like, I need some chicken. Like, I mean, you know, this is amazing. All the food is tasty. I love it, but I need, I need some meat, some chicken or some fish. So I definitely understand. No, I mean, I feel very depleted when I don't eat animal protein and Mm -hmm. that's what my DNA is adapted to. That's what my preference is. It's so important to listen to your body and do Mm -hmm. the thing that feels right. So I just tell people, look at the surface area of your plate. Is it at least 80% plants? These other 20% could be animal products, any kind of Mm. meat, fish, eggs, yogurt. Those would be your animal products. And then the rest of it could be vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, whole grains, spices, herbs, right? Like I want people to expand their idea of what's plant-based. It's not just fruits and vegetables, Mm. right? We'd be eating more nuts and seeds and beans and legumes, et cetera. And that's it, right? So if you're from Asia versus South America versus North America, like we're all going to do that differently. Our plates are going to look really different and there's no right or wrong as long as it's real food Mm -hmm. and it's mostly plants. 
Mm-hmm. And then you decide if you're going to be 80% plant-based, 90% plant-based, or 100% plant-based. Some people love being a vegan. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Do it. Absolutely. You know? But it's not the best diet. Like people seem to think that, you know, the more you push yourself to the extreme, the better it is. I think it's just very individual. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think about elimination diets, right? So I have um, some patients who say, you know, I got rid of dairy and I felt better or others who may say, you know, I really decreased sugar intake. I really decreased carbs. And, you know, maybe this symptom improved a little bit. Um, I try to steer people away from completely eliminating food groups, but tell us your thoughts about that. I actually love elimination diets, but Mm -hmm. you have to do them correctly. I have patients who have eliminated things for years, and that's not the point. So uh, I do this with my patients at Stanford. I do this with people in my wellness program outside of Stanford. You eliminate for six weeks the foods that you want to test out. Let the immune system cool off if it has indeed learned to make antibodies to food. And then you got to do the second part, which is the reintroduction, where you might reintroduce any of those foods you had eliminated heavily. You reintroduce it heavily over three days. You eat a lot of it to see if you can get your immune system to make a response big enough so you could feel it as a symptom. Mm. And, you know, I'm not surprised anymore that my patients with MS and autoimmunity go, oh, yeah, I'm I'm sensitive to this thing and that thing. And you know what the top two things are? Gluten and dairy. Gluten and dairy. Absolutely. Definitely dairy. I see, I hear a lot of people with dairy and definitely a lot with gluten. Yeah. You know, so, um, I think that's important, right. You know, so, um, you know, I do tell people if you feel like there are certain things that you're sensitive to, it's okay to kind of, you know, see how you do without that. I have not been telling them about the reintroduction though. That is a great, important thing, you know, to, to introduce to them. But, you know, I do not want people thinking that you have to just kind of blanketly cut things out in order to be healthy. So, you know, it's kind of a trial and error process. Yeah. And there's this idea like gluten is like evil and nobody should ever eat gluten. I think if you have to gluten, you should stop eating it. But the whole world doesn't need to be gluten-free and dairy is a staple for many cultures. Um, However, they actually tend to be the ones most likely to react to dairy because their immune system has the most access to it, right? So it keeps seeing the dairy come through and it's more likely to make antibodies. So look, we have to be methodical about it. I, you know, sometimes I see all these things that pop up. It's like, don't eat beans, don't eat gluten, don't eat dairy, don't eat, you know, um, grains. You're actually left with nothing. Nothing to eat. And that right. doesn't make sense to me because here's the thing. If you go on a narrow diet, guess what else gets narrow? Your gut microbiome. You mm. lose that diversity. And so mm. one of the easiest ways to diversify your gut microbiome is to eat a lot of different foods. So I will have my patients do like a 50 ingredient challenge in seven days, get a piece of paper, put it on your kitchen table or um, your dining table. And for seven days, you're going to write down every ingredient you, you eat. Um, without repeating over seven days. You only get credit for, you know, uh, cucumbers once. Mm-hmm. And so see if you can hit 50 ingredients. And if you can, that's a great start. Go to 75. But I have people that are like 10. Mm. Like that's not enough ingredients. Like you're missing molecules yeah. that your body needs. Yeah, that's so important. That's so important. I mean, we could spend the rest of the time talking about diet, but we do want to get to, because <laughs> this is an yeah. amazing conversation. And thank you for you know sharing a lot of this wisdom um, with our viewers. So what are other components of integrative medicine? So the 
bulk of it is lifestyle, which mm-hmm. is not just nutrition, but it's also sleep. Mm-hmm. Right? Sleep is anti-inflammatory. Let's medicine. talk about sleep. Pause right there. I did a whole episode on sleep um, with one of our sleep medicine specialists, but I cannot tell people enough about sleep when my patients come in and say, hey, Dr. Mitzi, I'm exhausted. I'm so fatigued. And I'm like, well, how much are you sleeping? They're like, uh, three hours a night. And they're like, and my cognition is bad. I'm like, well, honey, if you sleep in three hours a night, you're not going to be able to think straight and you're definitely going to be tired. Um, and you're not giving your body time to rest and repair itself. So tell us about sleep. I'm obsessed with sleep. And now like my kids are old enough where I can actually get sleep and I'm a different person. I'm nicer. People are nicer. I mean, like my brain works better. And now in my forties, like I can't think, well, if I'm like at six hours a night, I'm like an eight to nine hours a night kind of a person. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's hard. I, I think everybody intends to be healthy. Right. But things get in the way, right? Yeah. You have too many things to do. You're busy, you're stressed, um, you're anxious, you're depressed. You know, all of these things can affect our nighttime quality of sleep. So I talk to people about getting into a routine mm-hmm. and it, take, it takes dedication to get it good does. sleep. You know, uh, I'm very proud. I go to bed at eight o'clock. Nice. I'm I'm a snob. Like I will not let anybody mess with my sleep. My husband and I look at each other at like at seven. We're like, is it too early? (laughs) Is it time? Please let it be time. (laughs) Our favorite time of the day, right? Where it's quiet and you can just be, right? So a couple of things I tell people about getting good sleep. You've got to train your circadian rhythms, Mm -hmm. right? Get outside in the morning. Before 10 a.m., get yourself 30 minutes of real natural light, rain or shine. I don't need it to be sunny. You just need to go outside and let the let the light hit your eyeballs um, and just be out there for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's not as good being behind a window, like open the window, right? Right. Um, that's going to teach your brain, okay, it's daytime right now. In about 12 hours, nighttime's coming, right? Mm-hmm. And so much time indoors, right? Yeah. And you know, things get wonky when we're not getting natural it's interesting. If you think about it, we're like light deficient and we're darkness deficient because Mm. we're not going outside to get real intense light. We're kind of getting like our home lighting. And then at night when it's dark, what do we do? We flip Turn the lights on. Yeah. And the TVs and the phones. You know, I talk to people a lot about sleep hygiene. And just like you said, I'm like, get a routine. Just like you wake up in the morning, you may brush your teeth, wash your face, whatever that you need a nighttime routine. Yes. You know, I, I talk to people a lot about, you know, considering doing a little bit of meditation before you go to bed. Um, sleep stories. We do a lot of sleep stories in my house. We do lots of sleep music. <laughs> you know, um, my children actually won't go to sleep without sleep music. You know, and if we put that music on, we're all in a coma. Like nobody can get up, you know, yes. but you've got to find that routine to kind of get your mind to settle down, you know, getting rid of the blue light, not sitting sitting in the bed, working, you know, um, looking at certain times to turn that TV off, get off that phone, you know, all of those things that stimulate us. We're just so used to always being on that. It's no wonder that we can't settle down when it's time to go to sleep because our brains have just been so active and active. Even when we're laying in the bed, we're teaching our brains to be active. Absolutely. I mean, people want to go like from a hundred miles an hour to sleep and they're like, why can't I fall asleep? Well, because there was no transition. Your brain needs 
cues. So like you said, a bedtime routine is key. Your Mm -hmm. bedtime routine can start 30 minutes before bed, all the way up to maybe two hours before bed, like seven o'clock, I'm dimming the lights. Mm -hmm. I'm putting on really low, you know, classical music. Just I have Mm -hmm. three boys. My house is a disaster because they get their second wind at 730. Mm, My Um, kids too. (laughs) You know, and so like, I got to like, you know, drop the stimulus. And so uh, we try to eat dinner early so that Mm -hmm. there's, our stomach's empty three hours before bed. Right. And then and then the daytime things, in addition to the light in the morning, I like daily movement and exercise. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best um, regulators of nighttime sleep. So if you want to get better sleep, you got to move your body, exercise, however it makes sense. Like you don't have to go run a marathon. But these are the things that are actually going to help you do that transition. And nighttime is not a time where you, you know, nothing's happening. There's actually a lot of beautiful physiology that turns on at night that mm-hmm. doesn't happen during the day. Like, you know, people w- uh, worry about dementia, you know, and one of the best ways you could minimize dementia or re- reduce your risk is to get rid of the gunk that can build up in the brain, right? Like things mm-hmm. that predispose your Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, et cetera. Well, you know, nighttime detox is much more efficient than daytime brain detox. So mm-hmm. you gotta be down enough hours for that to happen. So, and you know, the immune system and the sleep systems talk to each other. There's a really great article called the sleep immune crosstalk. It's actually one of my favorite articles where I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I love the human body. It's so fabulous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to just help yourself out. You got to set yourself up. And if you're not serious about getting good sleep, it's not going to happen on its own. It's not many things competing for your attention. Right. And again, this is one of those areas where people really can do things to help themselves. Because I have a lot of folks that come and say, hey, Dr. Missy, I can't sleep. Give me some medicine. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't think that's the first place we want to start, you know. Um, And even our sleep medicine um, specialists don't really recommend that people take sleep medicines long term, you know. So we want to, again, do those things that we know to do. It may take some extra work. But again, getting your body on that rhythm, getting that sleep hygiene, you know, um, together will make a big difference and keep you off of things you may not necessarily need. Yeah. And, you know, prescription sleep aids are dangerous. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not meant to be used long term. Absolutely. When you're struggling for a short period of time. Great. Do it if you have to in conjunction with all the routines we just talked about. Right. But. Um, there's actually a lot of natural alternatives that are a lot safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think they should still be used with you know your healthcare professionals being involved. I'm I'm actually very conservative and very cautious, um, but I think you know it's always the behaviors that will right. get you furthest. It's never the supplements or the gadgets or the expensive things. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. So let's go back to this exercise. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about exercise when I'm in the clinic with my patients. You know, one of the things that I tell people is that MS may not necessarily, it's about adjustment, right? So, you know, maybe you can't do all the things that you used to do prior to diagnosis, but it doesn't mean that you can't do anything. And maybe you weren't active at all before diagnosis, but you've got to start somewhere. And so I usually tell folks, you know, just get a little bit in at a time. You don't necessarily have to put on your, you know, Nike outfit or your custom designer outfit and go to the gym and pump iron for an hour and get on the treadmill and do this class for an hour. You know, there's sometimes small changes you can make. They even have exercises where you can walk in place in your house, right? So there's something that everyone can do, you know, so tell us a little bit about the importance of movement um, in helping, you know, with lifestyle medicine and overall how people can live well. 
Yeah. I mean, our bodies were meant to move, right? Mm -hmm. And even if physical abilities are limited by MS, there are still ways to move, even if it's passive range of motion exercises. Mm -hmm. So I like everybody to kind of always kind of take stock of what they're able to do and work with that. Working with a physical therapist is really helpful. Absolutely. A trainer that understands. I like physical therapy because it's often covered by insurance. I like things that are covered. Mm -hmm. So maybe there, but um, exercise is one of those tools like sleep that'll change, transform you. You in two weeks, you can have less anxiety. You can have better mood. Your energy could actually be better if mm-hmm. you can start moving more. Like there's so much data that, you know, a rec, rec, uh, a regimen of exercise will overall improve, you know, fatigue and improve energy output. So it is medicine that we can't afford not to use, especially when we're dealing with something as complex as MS and all of the symptoms that it throws at us. Yeah. And I often ha- have heard some of my colleagues say, Exercise is the disease modifying therapy that we don't prescribe enough, you know, um, because it helps so many different things. It helps so many different symptoms, spasticity, fatigue, as you mentioned, constipation, right? If you stopped up, go get some exercise and that'll help loosen things up, you know, as well as things like anxiety um, and and mood issues. Um, But also, you know, it helps build up the neurologic reserve, right? So when we're thinking about combating an illness that can cause degeneration of the nerves over time, you know, building up your reserve or your bounce back, as I like to say, is extremely important. And eating a healthy, well-balanced diet and exercising regularly are ways to build up that reserve to combat injury. Absolutely. And when you start mixing lifestyle habits, like you just said, nutrition and exercise, you start synergizing. So one Mm -hmm. plus one is five, right? Right. Right. And, you know, when I exercise, I imagine like a halo of brain derived neurotrophic factor surrounding my brain (laughs) because I'm concerned about, you know, brain loss as I age, even though I actually am very lucky to have very stable MS. But you know, your brain starts, you know, new neurons, new connections, mm-hmm. inflammation goes down, detox goes up. Um, you know, there's studies that show like your level, your self-perception of your level of attractiveness goes up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing I actually love about exercise, is I get highly creative during exercise, during mm-hmm. and after, like mm-hmm. I've come up with my kids' names during exercise. Mm-hmm. I have like, you know, I've been, you know, I've, there's a problem maybe that's been rolling around my head and I couldn't figure it out until, you know, I exercised and was like, oh yeah, that's the answer. Why, why did that take me so long? You get yeah. creative during and after exercise for several hours. So, and it improves nighttime sleep and you feel yeah. good, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so many benefits, so many benefits. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about diet. We've talked about exercise. What about, you know, other complementary, you know, no, actually, I want to talk about this first. Let's talk about stress reduction. So this is a biggie, right? Um, We know that many people feel worsening of their symptoms as it relates to stress, uh, whether it is emotional stress or physical stress in some sense. Um, And so I talk and counsel a lot about stress reduction. I talk to people about mindfulness, meditation, prayer, whatever method they use to kind of calm their minds. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of that and how that helps overall health. Yeah. If there was one lifestyle habit that I could say, this is the most important. If I had to choose one, it would be the stress piece, Mm. managing stress, because we actually have data that stress can contribute to the onset and progression of MS. Mm -hmm. And um, so many people with autoimmunity and MS have experienced trauma Mm especially childhood trauma, yeah, right? 
it's big because it, you know, it's long-term stress that eventually starts stirring up the immune system. And so if we really want to be holistic and really treat MS comprehensively, like we can't forget about stress management. And, you know, there's different ways to do stress management. Like there isn't a one size fits all, you know, you could, first of all, I tell people like, are there stresses you can get rid of? Can you say yes to things less often? Right. Yeah. Right. Or no more often, however you want to frame it. (laughs) No is a complete sentence. Yes. And I have a rule. If somebody asks me to do something, I'm like, let me get back to you. I'm going to check my calendar. I'm not allowed to say yes right away because my tendency is to say yes. Like I, I have FOMO. Like I want to do everything. I want to do anything. Right. And I got to like draw a line and say like, and here's something that actually helped me. When you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. Right. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I want more time with my family. So I got to have less things that I'm, you know, saying yes to. So um, get rid of the stresses you can get rid of and then find a way to just calm your uh, nervous system, whether it's prayer, meditation, Mm -hmm. mindfulness, breathing, exercise, knitting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't care. Whatever it is, do it. Everybody's going to find a different way of doing it. And so, um, but do it every day and just do do yourself a favor, right? Like it's, it's, that's your time to unplug from your day and just let things calm, let your immune system calm. There's so many great apps out there now and mm. you know, it's, there's no shortage of resources. Absolutely. So I talk to folks a lot about apps. I mean, everything's on YouTube, including this podcast, but everything's on YouTube. <laughs> you know, you can yes. look up five minute stress reduction or a two minute calm down. You know, um, yeah. I use a lot of different apps as well. Um, I also recommend yoga quite a bit because yoga has that crossover between mindfulness and kind of a meditative state as well as the exercise. And so sometimes you get a two for one um, if you do a little bit of yoga. And so I recommend that as well. The other yeah. thing that I often recommend is mental health providers, right? So again, you know, if you need a psychologist, a therapist, a licensed counselor, you know, um, that can help with some of those symptoms such as anxiety and help you to deal with and find the best mix of, you know, lifestyle modification for you. Um, Those things are also helpful. But I think the stress piece, as you said, is extremely important because sometimes, oftentimes the stress is uh, very directly related to things like the diet, right? You know, like stress yeah. eating, you know, or sure. lack of sleep because you're anxious. So all of these things can really play into each other. And so I agree with you that stress is extremely important. I think we don't um, focus on it enough, you know, um, yeah. if for those who are living with MS, um, basically life in life period, <laughs> like all of us need some stress reduction. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So as we're coming to a close, man, the time went by really fast. Yeah. What other, you know, kind of briefly, what are some other things or resources that people can think about when they think about integrative medicine? You know, I talk to people a lot about things like acupuncture. I yeah. talk to them about biofeedback, right? You know, so many of these things that we used to say, oh, that doesn't do anything. You know, we're having scientific evidence that is saying that these are helping with some symptoms, you know, that these are things to explore. You know, CBD has become a big, you know, part of practice for many areas of medicine, including MS. You know, so kind of what um, what would you uh, say kind of in general about people dipping their toe into or learning about integrative medicine yeah. who maybe have not been aware of some of these things in the past? Yeah. So in addition to practicing good, the best 
uh, way of, you know, practicing lifestyle habits that's possible for you. No one, you know, there's no perfect way of doing it. You just do it the way you want to do it. Sort of the icing on top is complementary therapies, mm-hmm. like acupuncture, biofeedback, mm-hmm. healing touch, hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, sometimes the use of certain herbal treatments can be helpful. So if I had to pick one thing, I would say Chinese medicine actually mm-hmm. is magic for the immune system. And that includes not just acupuncture, but also Chinese herbs, but they have to come from a practitioner. They are powerful and um, you have to be trained in learning how to use them. And Chinese medicine understands the human body in a very, from a very different lens than right. you know, what we do in Western medicine. So um, I love, I actually practice acupuncture as part of something, it was, it was something I was interested in because it felt mm. like magic every time I personally. <laughs> and um, I think acupuncture can actually reach a lot of symptoms that our medications can't. Mm. Authenticity, fatigue, depression, insomnia, musculoskeletal pain. It's worth a try. I think people quit too early. I'd give it at least five to 10 sessions. A lot of insurance plans now cover acupuncture. They so, do. I was going to say yeah. that they do cover acupuncture now. So call your insurance company and be like, what am I um, able to get? And then go do a good course of acupuncture and see how much it can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't hurt you. It's just going to help you. So I would definitely try. And maybe sometimes there are um, Chinese herbs that could be added on for synergy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I tell everyone, you know, each of my patients is like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Everybody has their own special secret recipe, right? Mm-hmm. For what works for them. So for some people, it's a little bit of yoga. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. For that, another person, it may be the biofeedback plus other things. For another person, it may be, you know, um, you know, the acupuncture plus other things. But, you know, just like with other aspects of life, right? You have to try different things to find out what works best for you, you know, and And if you don't get it right the first time or do something that's not helpful to you, that doesn't mean give up. That means, you know, we live to see another day. We get up and we keep trying, you know, until we get that right combination. Um, But certainly this has been some amazing information. I learned a lot. I've been taking notes. I hope everybody at home has been taking notes. Um, And so what advice would you give, you know, to those out there, you know, who are just kind of newly diagnosed and getting into lifestyle modification, what advice would you give them, you know, about where to start and what resources, or actually tell us a little bit about your wellness course before we leave um, and some of the work that you do to help people with MS? Sure. So whether you're newly diagnosed or not so newly diagnosed, whether you have mild or advanced MS, I think lifestyle has to be a part of your care plan because it can only help you. It can only make things better and it can help synergize with all the other good things you're doing, like your DMTs. So if you truly want to live well with MS, like there are tools out there that you could be using and you don't have to use them perfectly to get the benefit out of them. So find resources. I can perhaps um, make me in show notes. We can actually, um, you know, share some of those resources with our groups, but find a functional medicine practitioner, find an integrative medicine practitioner. They're not all physicians. They could be nutritionists and other types of um, practitioners, but get into a place where you have support because if you want to do this by yourself, it's going to take you a long time. It took me two to five years to figure out how to get a routine going. And that was two to five years that I kind of lost. I wish I had a group and a community where I could just be engaged and be like, what do I do next? I'm doing this wrong. Somebody help me brainstorm through this. So get into a community that, um, 
can, can carry you through and accelerate your progress. And also if you're newly diagnosed, finding your new normal. So because I see this huge gap in MS care where we do mm-hmm. amazing things with neurology care and DMTs and imaging and following people, but I, it is a big, a big missing chunk that we're not addressing Absolutely. lifestyle. So I, I do this work at Stanford with my clinical, with my patients in my clinical practice, but for people who can't see me there, I do have a wellness program called uh, True Medicine MS and I have different programs. Like if you need to learn how to do this stuff, like come in and let's do it together. Um, I have different programs that I run, a detox program, a gut gut health program, um, a foundations program, Mm -hmm. which is incidentally called Live Well with MS, much like your (laughs) Um, And then, um, you know, I'm actually going to, and every month I do a free webinar. We have an awesome one coming up in February. We're going to teach you how to think like a functional medicine doctor. It's interactive. You're going to make your own timeline of your life. And then you're going to start Mm -hmm. plotting out your symptoms and diagnoses. And we're going to look for patterns. And I'm going to show you how to find those patterns, because that's going to hold the clue to what you can do to make things better for yourself. So that's a two-parter free webinar. I'd love for you all to to join us there. Um, And every Wednesday, I'm going to have a 30-minute Zoom call just to answer people's questions. You know, it's, it's hard and it's expensive to you know, find a practitioner to work with. I want to just make it easy for people to get started. And then you can always go find that practitioner later. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. You know, and I think, you know, as you said, it's important for people to recognize that it's not an either or, but it's an and, right? So when people come in and say, hey, Dr. Mitzi, I'm very interested in holistic medicine and wellness. I'm like, yes, we are all about wellness, um, but we also want this DMT, right? That we know helps to treat your MS. And so it is often about a combination of working with your neurologist and your neurology team, but also implementing all these amazing, you know, pieces of advice, um, you know, and prescriptions, so to speak, uh, for, you know, a healthy lifestyle. And so I often encourage people to say, we need both things in order to have optimal care. It's not necessarily one or the other, you know, yeah. and even if you opt for Western medicine, the medicine, the DMTs are not going to do everything for you. So there's still a part that you play in your own health. And so, you know, this has all been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Tell the people where to find you, Dr. Peyrovi. Um, well, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. It's uh, True Medicine MS. Um, and our website is truemedicinems.com. So yeah, just be in, get in our community. It's actually really fun. We work together. We find solutions together. Use all your tools, right? Western medicine, all the other stuff, because Absolutely. there really is a way forward. It doesn't have to, you know, be hard. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for helping us round out this last brain chat of the year. This has been such an awesome conversation. I know everyone has learned a lot from it, just like I have. And thank you to all my brain chat uh fellows of the nerdy neuro nation who have been rocking with me all year we will see you in 2024 with the next brain have a great one everybody